Well, praise the Lord. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Praise the Lord. Blessed. Well, we'll get right into the Word of God, but uh, first, uh, join me in a brief word of prayer, and we'll get started in, uh, in Luke chapter 19 today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Father God. Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that we have a new day, a new opportunity, new hope, new expectation. Many did not get to see another day, but you gave us another day, which means you're not done with us. And Lord, we avail ourselves to you today and ask you to speak to our hearts, O oh God. Sanctify us in your word, in your word, your word is truth. And Holy Spirit, we just yield ourselves to you with the commitment in our hearts to be doers of the word of God as it is presented to us. For we want you to be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm beginning today a, uh, a series of messages heading into Easter. The series is called Jesus' Journey to the Cross. And today, going to be focusing in Luke chapter 19, starting at 28th verse, Jesus' road into Jerusalem. Not going to spend a super long amount of your time today. Just a few things we want to get out of this that I believe are, are important. Starting at the 28th verse, it says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. We're talking about the journey to the cross, Jesus' journey to the cross. And here we have, we're about to embark upon his final week here on earth. And he makes what seems like an odd request to his disciples to go and get a colt, a donkey. And I want to talk about his mode of transportation on this road to Jerusalem. 
a donkey. Here it is, the king of kings. The Lord of lords. How many of you know Jesus is our king? And oftentimes kings, when they came into a city, they came on a horse. Regal. Pomp. Circumstance. But usually when they came in on a horse, though, a lot, oftentimes it was a show of strength. It's on their war horse. Jesus chose a donkey because even though he's a king, he's not entering to Jerusalem as someone who's about to go to war. He's not entering in Jerusalem as a conqueror. He's entering in in peace. For even kings and generals and people of nobility, whenever they were entering in to pursue peace, they didn't go in on a horse, they went in on a donkey. So he's about to enter into Jerusalem as prince of peace. Because he's about to do something that only he can do He's going to the cross. And the cross is to bring about our peace with God. And not only that, uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Zechariah prophesied this is how the Messiah would enter. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so he's entering Jerusalem in a manner that is a fulfillment of, prophet, of, of prophecy. One other thing here is he has up to this point he said a few things that's given his disciple the truth that he is the Messiah. He's had some conflict and, and uh, some conflict with the Pharisees and whatnot, but he wasn't just overt and open about who he was as Messiah. But now. It's a different ball game. He, he's coming in on the donkey. Everybody knows what Zechariah prophesied. He's coming in, and it is no more just dialing it down and covering it up. The fact that he's entering the way that he's entering is an acknowledgement of who he is. Because he's about to go to the cross on our behalf, and he's going to do it openly. With, with those who have ears to hear, those who are humble enough to receive him for who he is, it's going to be obvious who he presents himself to be. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And I just 
I won't linger here too much longer, but I just wanted to make these observations, they just pop out at me on how God works and how differently he works to what we are used to in the world. We have people who are not kings who wouldn't be caught dead on a donkey. Heck, we have star athletes, uh, executives in business, probably, probably preachers like myself. The, the, the human ego wants the pat on the back. We want the kudos. We want recognition and acknowledgement for who we are and what we bring to the table and, and all this. We have a Savior who comes in and has no qualms about doing so in humility. He has all power in the palm of his hands. He has all authority, and yet he's coming not as a warrior, but as a peacemaker. And it shows to me how differently, how different our Savior is than sometimes even we, his people, portray him. And I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm just saying I want to make these observations so that we see in nature the very nature, the very heart, the very core of our King. And when we call ourselves after his name, we need to do more than just profess that we know him. We need to do more than just profess who he is. We as his people need to be a reflection of our Lord and Savior. Are you hearing me? All right, so he's coming in. He's on the road to Jerusalem. And how many of you know that Jerusalem is the city of Peace, the Prince of Peace entering on a cult, which means it's a mission of peace. Get a theme there? He's coming to bring peace. Uh, I did not give them the the scripture back there, but uh, in John uh, chapter 11, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll just read the last call, uh, verses 56, 57. They were looking for Jesus and saying, the people were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. He knew, knowing the heart of the Pharisees and the chief priests against him. He makes a decision to start the journey right into the the den of violence that is awaiting him. I'm not saying this so that we can feel sorry for Jesus. I'm saying this so we we can have the utmost respect and appreciation for the fact that our Savior knew what was awaiting him in Jerusalem. 
He's going as Prince of Peace. He's going to bring about peace between God and man, but he, is, he knows he's going to face something that is totally opposite to peace. In the middle of his, of his mission of peace, he's going to face great violence, and it's going to result in him paying the ultimate price. And our Savior when he commands his disciples to get the donkey so he can enter into Jerusalem, he enters in in a way that those who know scripture will get the picture. But he enters in in a way that is a, both a fulfillment of scripture and a reason for us to rejoice. Because he went into hostility to bring about our peace. And that same Jesus will go into the hostility and issues of your life and bring about peace if we would but yield to him. When he enters, well, uh, let's go on in verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Wow. just want you to just imagine that moment. His disciples knew. I don't know if they knew exactly what to expect ahead of them, but, but they were lost in worship and praise of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace in this moment. And, and sometimes when we read a story, it's, more, it's helpful to consider the details that are not in the story sometimes. It, sometimes it can probably get you into trouble, but it's how I'm wired, so uh, I'll, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to go there. We don't know fully all the names that were present, but here he is on this donkey. And people are laying down their cloaks, laying down their garments for a donkey to walk over. You know, and they keep putting them down there and once he's passed your garment, you're grabbing it so that you can keep the train going. It's a lot of work. And while they're doing it, they're singing his praises, they're giving him glory, they're making it no doubt to anyone who hears them who they proclaim him to be. And we can sometimes read this stuff and think that everybody is having a great day. 
that there are no issues in their lives, that, that everything's perfect with their lives. And, and it, wouldn't it be nice if we could just, you know, tiptoe through the tulips and, and, and praise God unencumbered all day, every day. But I bet some of them probably had marital issues at home. Some of them probably had a sick child at home. Some of them probably had tax debts that they owed and so forth. But in this moment, none of that mattered. Because they were in the presence of the king and he was on his way to Jerusalem to make peace between man and God. And you know, and sometimes that's just what it is as far as walking with the Lord in faith. It doesn't mean that there isn't issues. Who knows what struggles they had at home, but they were walking with the Lord and they were going to praise him. They were going to lay their garments in his presence. They were going to usher him into Jerusalem so that he could do what he came to do. Pay the the ultimate price for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. How many of you know that's worth praising regardless of what moment we're in in life? Regardless of what's going on at home or down the street or in the country or on TV, Jesus deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And we, and, and we must give him what he is due. And so these people, it doesn't even say what's going on, but they're just saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And on the scripture that I didn't, you know, that's just one of the drawaways I wanted you to take from this, from this message. The Prince of Peace. Like I said, these people probably had issues going on at home. But they had the peace of God ruling and reigning in their hearts. You may have drama in your life, but let the, peace, let the Prince of Peace enter in. Encourage yourself in the fact of what Christ has done for you. He is the Prince of Peace. But you know what? He had to suffer, bleed, die in agonizing manner for us to get that peace. Peace comes at a cost. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the cost. And you offer us not religion, but relationship. So don't let the problems of life get you so down that you can't have that spirit of praise welling up in you that compels you to lay your garments down and to praise Jesus and to proclaim who he is as he's on a donkey riding toward Jerusalem. Let him be the Prince of Peace. That's who he is to you. That's who he is. Let him be that in your life. Now, Eventually, everybody had to go back to their lives. 
Letting him be prince of peace in your life does not necessarily mean the end of whatever it is that's troubling your heart. You can trust and believe God for that and he will, he will work it out for your good whatever that good ends up looking like. But the objective is that God, I don't want to have a peace that is results based. I want to have a peace that transcends whatever I'm dealing with. A, a, a peace of God that passes all understanding to guard my heart and mind. Are you hearing me? So let not whatever troubles, let, let, let not whatever circumstances you are facing uh, get the better of you. You need to face them, contend with them, and say, you know what? I belong to Jesus. And I have a peace of God that's available to me that passes all understanding. I will praise him. I will walk according to his truth. I will worship him. I will rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming Amen. in the morning. Amen? And so here they are, uh, blessing the Lord. And then you have the Pharisees, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I'm not going to beat up on the Pharisees this morning. Because sometimes the haters can be such a distraction, they can get you off track from where you need to go. Right? And you know what? I don't even want to call them haters in a sense. They should know, but they don't know who Jesus is. They don't believe him to be what his disciples believe him to be. So they believe the law and they don't believe the Messiah has arrived. So they're telling him, hey, these people who are following you, you're obviously their leader, rebuke them. They're speaking blasphemies right now. And I love his response. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If they didn't do this, the rocks would. And so basically, Jesus is letting them know, I, I would do no such thing. If anything, I'll rebuke you. If what they're doing now, if they weren't doing it, then there would be elements in nature who would be doing it in their place. I mean, this is the thing that ought to be done. So Christ is claiming his rightful place as Messiah. And I want to, I will have you guys go to John chapter 11, and I'll only do about four or five verses. I read the final two earlier. But John 11, verse 53, don't worry about it not being on the screen. But it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? I'm looking at that question. This doesn't just say it's his disciples. These are people, other Jewish people. There, there is a buzz. There is an interest. There is a desire. There is a hope that Jesus will come. And they're wondering, you know, after the time of him distancing himself, he didn't walk openly among them because of he knew the plot that the Pharisees had against him. And people were wondering, will he show up for the Passover or not? And I see here a contrast. People didn't care if the Pharisees showed up or not. But they cared whether or not Jesus would. Why is that? Right? The Pharisees had nothing to offer but a dead religion. No life in it. A form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Jesus came. In him was life. And life more abundantly. The Pharisees put up walls. Depending on what societal group you belong to, there, you could only get so close to God. If you were a, a person of a bad character or if you were a Gentile or a foreigner, you, you could go no closer than the outer court. If you were a woman, you could only go so far. If you were a man who wasn't a priest, you could only go so close. But if you were a priest, then you could go even closer. But there was, you know, there, there wasn't really anything to offer. A lot of what you can't do, a lot of what you need to do, a lot of effort, a lot of works, do this, don't do that. No, this is your station in life when it comes to God, and you can't get any closer than that. There's no hope. There's no life. There's no reconciliation. There's no peace with God through it. It's just struggle and strife. And Jesus comes and he starts hanging out with the people who are relegated to the outer court. He speaks the scriptures and gives the truth of God in a way that breathes life. And, and hope starts to well up in people. And he tells people they have value and worth. That God wants to be near to them. And that God's making a way for them to be reconciled with him. And so people want to hear more of that. I am worth something to God. I do mean something to God. He does desire to be in relationship with me. And people want to know, where is the guy who preaches the good stuff? Is, is he going to be there or not? Those other guys, I could care less. People don't want religion. I'll put it this way. People don't need religion. They need relationship. 
Religion didn't do anything for me. Relationship with Jesus transformed my life. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, starting at the 13th verse, as we begin to, the, the, the slow descent and landing the plane. Continuing along this theme of peace. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. In other words, he's, he, he came to preach peace to those who are far from God, who considered far from God, like the Gentiles all around the world, and those who were near, the Jews, the people of God. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is what him coming in on that donkey to Jerusalem symbolized what he was about to do. He's coming in as the prince of peace, as a broker of peace. Knowing that he would face hostility, but he was there to not only face and contend with the hostility, but to defeat even hostility through his love, through his sacrifice, through his death and his resurrection. We're going to always have differences. Whether the differences are based on skin color, whether the differences are based on economic status or education level or what country you stand, you, you, you represent or, you know, there's a lot of things that can put us in groups that we can look at and see ourselves as different than someone else and that produces all kinds of conflict. But in Jesus, it doesn't matter what side of the track you grew up on. It doesn't matter what skin color you were born with. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, family tree you're from, right? It doesn't matter what country you're from or whatever. In Jesus... You can be reconciled to God, but in Jesus, we're one. 
In Jesus, we're all a part of the same family. In Jesus, we're all in this together. Amen? And so our identity in Jesus has to supersede our identity in anything else. I can't remember how long ago I said it, but a few years ago, it's like my identity, I'm a proud black man. But that's secondary to this, my status as son of God, as Christian. My relationship with Christ supersedes that. That's how it all has to be. Paul said that he was a Jew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He had a lot of things going on for him, but he says, I count it all dung for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus. And so our identity can't be wrapped up in those things of this world. Our identity needs to be, needs to be sourced in our relationship with Christ Jesus. Because in him, in him, he's the only one who can bring about true peace. He's the only one who paid the price. He's the only one who has the authority. Because he suffered the hostility that he might rise above it and conquer the hostility, even death, sin and death on a cross. So you want to know the definition of peace? Jesus. Because scripture just says he is our peace. Uh, You can look up our old girl, Miriam Webster, and any other dictionary you want to look at, and there will be a definition that works in a practical sense. But as far as we're concerned, he is our peace. Because apart from having peace with God, which means being reconciled with him in relationship with him, what good is peace? If we're all eternally damned, then what's good? <laughs> what, what, what does it matter that we're nice to each other? It's because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's because we know our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's because we know how much our God loves us and he sent his only begotten son to die for us on the cross that he might be reconciled with us. That makes us want to obey him as an as a act of love for he first loved us. All right, I don't want to, I don't want to ramble on too much, but he's made all of us who know him no matter where we came from, he's made us all one in Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why I love you guys. Y'all are family. We're all in the same family. That's why relationship means so much here. We know that's what God really wants with us, is relationship. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus that says, by this the world shall know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So the world ought to be able to observe the church. And I would dare say even across denominations, the world ought to be able to observe the church and see love lived out in a way that warms the heart, in a way that whets the appetite. This is what I've been lacking. This is what I'm seeing now for the first time, a vision of what real love and real relationship ought to be. We ought to be a representation of that before the Lord. Our Prince of Peace paid the price for us to be able to do it and gave us the ability by his spirit to do exactly that. Are you hearing me? Final verse is Isaiah 9, verse 6. And it says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. It's a little bit earlier than I normally do. But I'm going to go back to an earlier point in the message. I want you to put yourself in the place of those who were praising Jesus, who put their cloaks on the donkey, who put their garments in front of his path as he was on his way to Jerusalem, the first leg of the last week of his life that led to the cross. Remember what I said about those people. In the moment, all we see, all we read is praise and worship and so forth, but I'm sure at least some of them had stuff going on in their lives. And I'm looking at all you beautiful people and, I'm, and you're here, you're, you're worshiping God, you're here to hear the word. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but Jesus does, and he's the Prince of Peace. There's chaos maybe in your life. There is drama. Hallelujah. And I don't necessarily need to know it. God knows it. I just want to, and I hope you hear me and I hope you have a heart to just respond in faithful obedience to the Lord I want you to just come and those of you who can just kneel uh, before God but just I want you to come and I want you to bring that to the Lord whatever that weighs heavy on your heart if you're here today and you've got stuff weighing on your heart I want you to come on up just present it to the Lord you can stand, you can sit, you can bow before him, whatever it is that you are led to do. But you say, God, I am not in peace inside me. I don't have peace.
peace. And whatever the cause of that is, you just, just utter it. Give it to God. Acknowledge him as the Prince of Peace and invite him to bring peace into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, into your situation. Hallelujah. Those of you who are not up here, if you would just go before God in prayer on behalf of those who are, just pray as the Lord leads you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And as the Lord is ministering, I meant to I meant to say this earlier. I asked Ellen to uh, put the communion into the bulletin. Obviously, we're not doing communion today, but we are going to be doing communion on Easter Sunday. But it's been a few weeks since we've announced it. We have a communion table on the back, back there, at the back of the sanctuary, to the right of the sound booth as I face it. And that is for anyone on any service, you're able to, so that you're able to uh, observe communion personally. The communion table is available for you back there. And even whether it's doing worship, whether it's doing a time like now, you are welcome to do it. It says as often as you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And even though we have scheduled times in which we do it, we want you to do it as often as you would. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, lift up your precious people to you right now, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the for Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is also the Prince of Peace. And Father God, as I lay my hands on each and every man and woman who, is, who has come with heavy hearts, with issues in our lives that are weighing them down. Conflicted within them in some ways, Father God, frustrations, challenges, various issues of life.
I know the truth, Father God, that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He's their, he is their peace. And I pray in this moment, Father God, as they have come and brought their burdened hearts before you, Father God, and whatever it is that's going on in their, within them or within their home or within their work situation or whatever the situation might be, I pray the peace of God that passes all understanding. Be upon them. Lord, I pray scripturally for each and every one of them. You say in Philippians 4, be not worried or anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he says that if you do that, you commit to it, you persist in it, persevere in it, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And Father God, I just pray that you would lead every one of them in how to go about doing that for themselves. That they might be encouraged and possess the peace that only you can give regardless of the circumstances in their lives. And Jesus, you said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They've come. Lord, I humbly ask you to give them rest. There's rest and peace. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we thank you for visiting us. We thank you for speaking to us, Lord. We thank you for ministering to us, Lord. And, Lord, we just pray that uh, by the Holy Spirit that you will continue to let this, let your word that was preached today be on our minds and, and, and let it stay on our hearts, that we would meditate on what you've spoken to us, Lord, and really grab a hold of the truth in a way that's going to bear fruit in our lives for your glory. To you be all the glory, honor, and praise, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.